With so much information about patients and their health care now being captured electronically, the opportunity for large-scale analyses that could lead to improvements in health care and population health seem enormous. But a number of significant obstacles to the appropriate and productive use of big data in health care will need to be overcome. I'm Stephen Morrissey, Managing Editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, and I'm talking with Sebastian Schneeweiss, a professor of medicine and epidemiology at Harvard Medical School and vice chief of the Division of Pharmacoepidemiology and Pharmacoeconomics at Brigham and Women's Hospital in Boston. Dr. Schneeweiss has written a perspective article on learning from big healthcare data. Dr. Schneeweiss, your article focuses on practical uses of a single healthcare system's data by that healthcare system, using its own electronic records to generate insights that are directly relevant to the patients that it serves. Is that what people usually mean by big data, or does big data usually draw from everything that's available electronically, or at least everything that's available from multiple systems, patient data? Well, I think there is no unifying definition of big data as of today. I think different people think different expectations of the term big data. I'm very pragmatic. I'm very much oriented towards improving healthcare. And so in my perspective, I'm very much focusing on the generation of evidence that is useful for providing better care with the data that is generated by the very system that takes care of the patients. Do you foresee a time, though, when larger big data applications might happen? What would they look like if you do? I think there's no question about the fact that there will be more and more data generated and there will be more and more data linked and pooled together in order to learn more about the patient's health state at a given point in time, but also to learn how effective interventions are in these patients. So if we start by processing and analyzing a single healthcare system's data in order to evaluate treatment effectiveness to predict outcomes, how large or how homogeneous would the patient population have to be for the insights to be valid? Oh, there is no simple answer to that. It clearly depends on what outcome you're studying, uh, what outcome is of clinical interest. The simple answer is the larger, the better, clearly. But I would not be too discouraged for individual healthcare systems with, I don't know, 500,000, a million, two, three million patients. They might very seriously look into better ways to make use of the data that they're accruing in order to generate knowledge about the effectiveness of interventions and programs that they have implemented. Are there, in fact, healthcare systems that are doing this now? And if so, what does it look like? I think many healthcare systems are trying to do this in a less systematic way. They have individual programs where they focus on one disease condition, one specific outcome, where they spend uh, sometimes years to set up a system where they record data in a specific way and analyze the data in order to answer specific questions. What I am proposing is to have a more generalized approach to this evidence generation in the sense of a learning healthcare system, which is a term that is frequently used these days, rather than being very focused on individual studies, which we know we can do, we have done in the past for the last decade. So that is not the issue. The issue really is to bring it to the next level and have a generalized approach. As you acknowledge in your article, there are some concerns about whether we can make causal inferences from observational studies. You say, though, that there are some obvious approaches to avoiding confounding. Can you tell us what those are, and will they do the trick? Will they make it possible to make causal inferences? Well, to achieve causal inference, that is always our ambitious goal. There are several 
fundamental issues that can be avoided and you get closer to the goal of causal inference. I'm not saying that by avoiding these pitfalls, you will have causal inference right away. But these are fundamental mistakes that people do over and over again. These are simple things like temporality, that the exposure has to come before the outcome is assessed. That sounds very, very trivial, but sometimes that is even mixed up in some of these analyses that we see. So temporality issues. But there is, of course, the issue about confounding in non-randomized studies. And that is a deeper issue where we have to acknowledge that there are limits of what we can do in order to compare apples to apples and not apples to oranges. You mentioned randomized studies, and in fact, in your article, you suggest that to avoid the problems with observational data, randomized studies be embedded in routine care. Are there ethical issues involved in that, the combination of research and care? You have to keep in mind that even for non-randomized studies, there's ethical oversight. So the ethical issues become a bit stronger when you impose experiments on patients. I think there are pathways laid out how to overcome the ethical issues. The main constraint is that once we apply randomization, we have to get informed consent by the subjects that we are studying. As soon as subjects know that they are studied, they may behave differently than in routine care. So the inference that you gain by randomizing might be cleaner in a sense with regard to the confounding. You have more validity in your study. But the representativeness of your findings might no longer reflect really the routine care that is provided in your system. So there are advantages in both ways, validity versus generalizability. In another perspective article, Cush and Goldman focus on the standardization of data, and they argue that the best outcomes would be achieved if data standards are adhered to from the very start. You suggest, though, that there are ways to what you call embrace the data turmoil. What do you mean by that, and how would that work? Just let's make sure that I, have, I wholeheartedly agree with them uh, that it's better to have data standards. It is fantastic if everybody adheres to data standards and that all the data we will be working with are highly standardized. There's no question about this. That is a, a huge advantage. However, the reality is, and these authors themselves seem to say that, people don't apply data standards or they apply different data standards. And to some extent, my philosophy is there are certain things that I can change and work with and other things that I simply can't change and that are out of my reach. And I think this is the latter one here. I'm not in a position to change the system. Maybe it will take 10 years, maybe it will take 20 years until everybody's using the same data standard. But we cannot afford to wait until that is happening, which is why I'm saying, well, let's embrace the data turmoil that is out there. And there are certain strategies once you have at least, as a minimum requirement, the exposure of interest well characterized, whether it is surgery A versus intervention B, or whether it's drug A versus drug B. And you have the outcome well characterized, let's say it is avoiding an, a myocardial infarction. Then the characterization of the health state of the participating patients can often be done by what we call surrogate markers or proxy markers for the actual health state, which is really empirically observed markers in the data, in whatever standard, it doesn't matter what standard it is anymore, that predict the study outcome and at the same time also predicts the treatment choice. And then as such can be used in the statistical adjustment procedures that we use. Another hurdle for big healthcare data is patient privacy, particularly with regard to information such as genetic test results. 
And those are often stored in different databases apart from other patient information. Can you elaborate on those challenges and what the potential solutions to the privacy concerns are? That is a huge challenge. And again, something that we will not be able to change tomorrow. For good reasons, different data of the same patients are residing in different data silos. That can be administrative reasons. There is the pharmacy with the pharmacy database. There is the electronic medical record system with all the medical information. But then, of course, as you mentioned, the genetic information is often totally separate from the electronic medical record. And you can think of other databases. You can think of information on the causes of death. You can think of even credit card status information, which is an incredibly good predictor for adherence to medication use. So all sorts of information that would be useful for more valid inference in these studies. And my take is, well, let them reside in where they are. Let's not force um, the data privacy issue as of today, because it seems the system is not quite ready for that. But design methodologies that achieve multivariate adjustment of all these characteristics in these studies, although the individual data components reside in different databases. And there are some methods developed for that and actually used by federal agencies where the different databases are distributed across different federal agencies and some investigators want to find out about patients and then they can run analyses across these databases. So we can learn from other fields to make progress here. Finally, in another perspective article, Pasady and Breckenridge examine the Mini-Sentinel project which uses data from multiple healthcare systems to assess the safety of drugs and devices. How successful do you think Mini-Sentinel has been and what have we learned from it? I think Mini-Sentinel is one of the great successes of epidemiology, of the safety of medications. I should disclose here that I'm part of that enterprise, that I'm actually the co-chair of the methods core of Mini-Sentinel. So take whatever I'm saying with a grain of salt here. I think it's a tremendous achievement, particularly of the PI, Dr. Rich Platt here from Harvard and many, many other investigators, to bring together 18 different data sources to cover a cross-sectional 55 million lives uh, every day. 55 million lives in the United States can be queried with that system in order to answer questions of whether a medication is at least as safe as another medication that is usually used in the provision of care which is of great interest, of course, to FDA and potentially other agencies. When new medications are marketed, you would like to see innovations come to the market faster, but at the same time, you want to protect the patients from any potential harms. Having a system in place that can, as soon as a medication hits the market, monitor the safety of these medications with high validity and high accuracy is of tremendous value. And I think we should not underestimate the value of the system that is in place now after, uh, is it four and a half years after it was implemented? And I certainly hope that it will even grow over the next few years as, as the value is even more widely acknowledged. Thank you, Dr. Schneeweiss.